Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. We've gone the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I want to welcome you all to the year 2024 with Stevie B's Media Production. And we're looking forward to putting on some great shows for this year. And we just thank God that we're still able to do just that. We want to welcome you to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler, and this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, and my newest co-host, Johnny Morris from the state of Georgia, Yusuf Ford from Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege we to bring your program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are over 1,700 live shows on Blog Talk Radio at this hour. And this show is consistently being found on pages 1 through 4 of that website. What a blessing. Now, if you have any questions or comments from any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B. Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy 
and Divine Word. Father Pettit will be my co-host, Steve Cordo, as he breaks into our listeners, the Bread of Life. And also my co-host, Glenn McMillian, who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you'll bless them and their families that support their efforts. They may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you'll bless our listeners who are tuning in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you and that their hearts may be prayed. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do? To be saved. Father, thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. For we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, Father, we pray that you will save us. Well, in Christ's name, we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. We just have one speaker on the broadcast tonight, my co-host Steve Corder. He serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making his proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, we have a question from my social media platform, Facebook. Shout it out that we'll be posing to my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas, and he'll be answering the question on the show tonight. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice should be that of my co-host, Steve Cordo. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Oh, 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 oh,
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host steve cordo good evening steve and thank you for having me on the program this evening and welcome to everybody in the audience listening to us on the blog talk radio platform or whichever platform you happen to be Listening on, we're glad to have you. And if you want to get your Bibles and open up to Isaiah chapter 41, we'll be looking uh, there and also at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And when I was a kid, there was a uh, program on a game show called uh, Let's Make a Deal. And some of you might uh, have watched that when you were a kid. Monty Hall hosted it, uh, and I think in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, Wayne Brady has hosted it. It's been rebooted and revamped. Uh, My grandmother liked to watch it. She kind of had a thing for Monty Hall, thought he was kind of handsome. And she had talked about maybe one day my sister and I and her going on the show. And the premise of the show, of course, is that people dress in these wild, goofy costumes and try and get Monty Hall or Wayne Brady, whoever the host is, tries to get their attention and uh, be able to uh, get pulled out of the audience and then offered a deal. And the deal might be something like, here, I'll give you this $50 bill, Monty, or Wayne might say, or you can exchange it for what's behind door number one. And, of course, the contestant would think about it for a bit and uh, then make his choice. And sometimes there'd be a really nice prize behind that door, like a new car, maybe a uh, piece of jewelry, a Rolex watch. Sometimes there'd be some not-so-nice things. You would get zonked. And there might be a a, uh, junk car or maybe even an old horse or mule or maybe even a pile of manure. Yeah, so the deals, you have to be very careful with the deals that you accepted or that you look for there. And sometimes, you know, we get offered things that look very tempting. And we wonder, should I take this deal or look for something better? And many times holding out for a better deal or a better offer is a good idea. I mean, how many people have looked for a job, but because they were in a favorable bargaining position, they decided to wait and see uh, if the company would make a, a good offer. 
And and they might, uh, for instance, if you have a job, you're happy with it, but you've just maybe put a few feelers out just to see what's out there. So you get this uh, uh, offer and you look at it and you say, ah, nah, they can do better. So you pass on it. But when searching for a new car or a new house, we always want the best deal we can find, a new job. We want the, the best we can get. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are times when wheeling and dealing that a super sensational, real good, cannot pass up offer does come along. I mean, how many of us have made, had offers made to us uh, that we later wondered, you know, why did I do that? I'll give you a real life example. When I was in college, I had a business professor. Uh, this was in the early 80s. And uh, he was telling the class, so we were in a big lecture hall, had about uh, 200 people in it. And he was telling the class about an offer he had had in the 1960s. Now, he had $1,500 in his pocket, and he had two, two choices. He could either buy a Plymouth Valiant, and some of you will remember those cars, or he could put the money into some stock of a struggling up-and-coming company you may have heard of this company. Yeah, he had $1,500, and he was offered some stock in a company called Xerox. Okay, now, just think for a minute. Take a wild guess where he put the money. Yeah, he, he bought the Valiant. And in 1982, he was telling us the story, and he just kind of dropped his head onto the lectern, and he said that money... That $1,500 in 1982 would have been worth about three-quarters of a million dollars. Okay, he, he got a bad deal on that one. Now, we've all experienced things like that. But in our text in Hebrews and in Isaiah, we're going to see that this, there's a deal that no one should refuse. God says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's a deal there God's asking us. Hebrews chapter 13 says uh, that uh, neither will I in any way forsake you so that with good courage we may say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So God's offering us a deal here. So let's see what his deal is. He's got four, four doors here we're going to look behind. See, God wants to try, and I'm going to tell you what's behind the doors. God wants to trade his fellowships for your fears. Isaiah chapter 41, notice he says, fear not, I am with you. See, all people like to carry on as if nothing scares us, but the truth is we all have fears, don't we? We all have things that make us nervous, that, that scare us. And Isaiah is to relieve these people's fears in Israel because of the threats from Assyria and Babylon. They were filled with despair that God... Would, uh, would ever be able to fulfill his covenant with them. And Isaiah is reminding them that God took Abraham and made him a friend of God. God sustained Abraham. He protected Abraham during his travels and moving about. And if God can do that for Abraham, surely he can do that for the nation of Israel. And fear is something that, is, is something that we all, fear, all feel. God can alleviate your fears today. And there's some basic fears that we all have. Everybody experiences, there's about three basic fears we all have. Number one, people fear death. Now, as Christians, we do not have to fear death. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he saw it as an advantage. It wasn't something he feared. So the deal God is offering you is to take away that fear. Death was a gain to Paul because he would not base his life upon the pleasures that the world offered him. And he recognized the mortality that he faced. We all face it. You know, there's a story that's told about Dwight Moody. He founded the Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago, that he was traveling on the Great Lakes one night, and a really bad storm came up. And the passengers were cowering in impromptu uh, prayer meetings and that sort of thing. And uh, Moody wouldn't partake. He, he didn't join in on the prayer meetings. And someone asked him why he wasn't uh, taking part in these prayer meetings. And he said, look, he said, I have one sister in Chicago, one sister in heaven, and I don't care which one I see tonight. And in Acts chapter 12, remember how Peter's snoring away while he's in prison. And then the angel releases him. So God wants to take away that fear you've got, that fear of death. He wants to give you some assurance and some comfort. We can all have that through Jesus Christ. And then there's a fear of failure that we all have. See, Paul knew as well as anybody that God gives us strength to overcome trials. The deal God uh, offers you is to trade a peaceful relation and eternal home with him for your, for your fear of death and then to uh, give you something in return for your fear of failure. That is a sense of security, a sense of calmness. You know, so a lot of times we're afraid. In fact, the, the, the limitations we have in life typically we place on ourselves. I'm afraid to try out for the team. Why? Well, because I might not make it. Well, you don't know until you try. See, Paul knew as well as anybody that God gives us strength to overcome our trials. And you can be adequate for any task facing you if you rely on the strength uh, of that Jesus gives you, that God gives you, and God is willing to swap your fear of failure and your fears of inadequacy for a strength and an assurance that comes with being in Christ. And then we've got, a, besides the fear of death and a, and a uh, fear of uh, failure, we've got a fear of security. You know, as a Christian, we can have peace of mind to know that God will take care of us. And, but yet, we think about all the, all the security that we have, home security. Anybody ever had their house broken into? You know, my house has been broken into. We've had a vehicle stolen. What about fear of losing financial security? retirees that I've known who've taken hits in, in various markets where they've had their money and then they're wondering, do I have enough to live on for the rest of my life? And then what about health? How many of us have had a cancer scare or maybe felt chest pains as we're getting older and wondered, uh-oh, is this going to be, be a, a heart attack? You see, that's all fear of losing security. And we have to rest in the knowledge that God will take care of us. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. God is the greatest provider anyone could ever need. No matter what the need is, it is not greater than God. And Paul referring to the, the needs that believers have, when God is taking care of those needs, we can rest assured that we will have everything that uh, is going to be needed, that the Lord will be taking care of us. The deal that God offers you is to trade your insecurities, your needs, your fears, and your failures for his security for, and provisions for needs. The deal is offered to all those who will accept it, though you've got to accept it on God's terms. 
You know, God doesn't uh, negotiate. He's given us a plan of salvation. He has told us what it is, and we have to accept it on his terms. And Jesus said, I will be with you always, which leads us to fear number four that we all have, and that is a fear of the future. We all feel have a fear, certain fear, fear of the unknown, and that's what the future is. It's just unknown. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've been watching the weather the last uh, several days, and uh, it, we, we had some bad weather predicted, and you know what? It didn't turn out to be as bad as what we were expecting. It's unknown. That's great. But on the other hand, look at the political situation. Here in America, this is an election year, and a lot of people both on, the, on both sides of the aisle are really concerned about what's going to happen over the next uh, 10 to 12 or 13 or 14 months. But as Christians, we can have uh, that we can give that fear over to the Lord. Jesus promised to be with his people always. We can thank God for Christ's powerful presence in our lives that enables us to do everything that he calls us to do. Now, we may think that we are inadequate for our present challenges, but Paul echoes those, those uh, sentiments when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when he said that uh, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency, watch this, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit of the, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So we can thank God for Christ's powerful presence in our lives. Christ's presence assures us of God's joy and wisdom to do the things that are beyond, many times beyond our human abilities. My spirit is with you. The comforter shall abide with you. John chapter 16 and verse uh, 7 tells us. We have that hope. We, we don't have to fear the future. We don't have to fear losing our security. We need to remember that Jesus said, I am with you always. He promised to be with his people. Then the, the, uh, the next, next one of the next securities we want to look at now is the security that he himself has said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews uh, chapter 13 tells us. Now notice that word never. Now we're told, what's the one word we're told never to say? Well, it's the word never. It's such a powerful word. And typically, if we say, oh, I'm never going to do this, do that uh, again, you ever notice you end up in that situation where the never is suddenly negated? We cannot fully comprehend many times the promise of God never forsaking us. But just think what would happen if we were forsaken by God. There's got to be no worse feeling than to be the loneliness of being separated from God. I think Jesus felt that on the cross. But we can overcome our fears. We can overcome it with the courage that God gives us. Mark Twain once observed that courage is resistance to fear, er, is not resistance to fear, it's mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. And no matter what course you take in life, no matter what, what you end up doing, there's always going to be a need for courage. So God's deal is to give you courage and the sense of security for the future. Trade your fears for his security and his providence. You know, during the Second World War, the 82nd and the 101st Airborne paratroopers, they defined courage as you feel the fear, but you go anyway. 
Now, just imagine being in the doorway of a perfectly good airplane at 10,000 feet or whatever altitude they were at, and that jump master tells you, go, and out you go, and is this parachute going to open? You know, that takes courage. That is, is, is real courage, but those soldiers, uh, I've not been in the military. I couldn't get in because of uh, uh, medical reasons, but everybody I ever knew who went to jump school and was on jump status said, oh, yeah, you feel the fear. Uh, experience helps you to be able to deal with it, but you're still going to feel it, but you still go. So that's door number one. God wants to trade his fellowship for your fears. Let's take a look behind door number two. God wants to trade his comfort for your confusion. Trade uh, his comfort for your confusion. Isaiah 41, verse 10, be not dismayed, for I am your God. We'll all feel disappointment at times in life, but God will still show his goodness to us. In fact, that'd be a better way to do this, would be to say it's, God, it's more God wants to trade uh, his comfort for our, our disappointments. See, bad things do happen. And sometimes we wonder, well, where is God? Well, God's right there. Psalm 52 says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in, your pre in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. Psalm 69 says, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Uh, Psalm 69, verse 16. God will show his goodness to us. And the psalmist is saying that God's grace and mercy are ample, abundant, great supply. God delights in acts of mercy and benevolence. He wants to trade your feelings of dismay and frustration for his comfort. Many times there's confusion, there's disappointment that we all face. We don't understand why God allows various things, various trials. Now, one thing to remember, though, is that when bad things happen, we do have to try to maintain a positive outlook because we can't see far enough down the road to know the outcome. Like in the Old Testament when Joseph was sold into slavery, his brothers meant it for evil. They just wanted this pesky little brother out of the way. But in the end, he ended up the prime minister of Egypt. He ended up uh, putting away enough food supplies to supply not only Egypt, but nations around them were coming to buy grain because of a famine that hit. Yeah, it was really bad that he got sold into slavery, but God, into slavery, but God meant it for good. Setbacks and reversals in life are temporary. Bad times eventually pass. But we have to remember to wait on the Lord and look for what we can learn from times of trouble. You know, Paul said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now think about that. The palace guard, the praetorian guard, Caesar's personal bodyguard knew about the faith of Paul. At least members of the guard did. Just imagine if the White House Secret Service detail knew about your faith. And your faith was known all the way to the White House, just like Paul's was known all the way to Caesar's household. He, the, and he says, he says that this was for the furtherance of the gospel. And see, the word furtherance or advance was a word commonly used to describe removing objects like an advancing army might do. To clear the path uh, for the soldiers coming behind, we would uh, maybe in the American army might send out the combat engineers or somebody 
like that to clear a path for the advancing infantry. And remember, as Christians, God owns us. Paul said his circumstances thought to be obstacles were in fact not obstacles. God is, is right there. We are his, his sheep. We are the sheep, uh, and he's our, Jesus is our shepherd. And whatever happens, be it good or bad, we belong to God. He continues to watch over us. He's got this deal for you to trade your, your confusion and your, your, uh, your, your dis, uh, disappointments and offer you his comfort. So now what's behind door number three? Well, let's take a look. God wants to trade his strength for your weaknesses. As we go on into our, in our text, if we again, go back to Isaiah 41. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. God says, I will strengthen you. When we are weak, God strengthens us. So why do we feel weak? You know, even Christians are going to feel weak. We're going to get tired. And we can feel weak and tired for any number of, of, of reasons. Yeah, it's cold and flu season. A lot of people are going to be sick. There's still COVID lurking around out there. There are people with chronic ailments such as arthritis or cancer or other problems. So sickness will make us feel weak, physically weak. But God can still strengthen us for that. And sometimes we may not only be physically weak, but that can make us spiritually weak sometimes. And our past failures can make us feel weak. We feel weak with our regrets. Oh, why didn't I buy that Xerox stock? Why didn't I uh, take this job? Or why didn't I go to college or go to this trade school? We sometimes get hung up on our past failures, but we have areas in life that we have failed and that makes us feel weak and we dwell on those failures. So we all feel conflict too with Satan. Remember, he's our adversary. He's always out there causing problems. He is roaming around like, some, uh, uh, like a lion seeking whom he may devour, Peter tells us. But I'm afraid we don't take him seriously. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon called, or a comic book called Hot Stuff. And he was the little devil. And he was a little red character with little horns, and it was all kind of comical. He had a little trident uh, pitchfork he went around with. And, and we kind of have made Satan into a joke. But folks, let me just tell you, Satan is real. Hell is real. Those are in the scriptures. Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Uh, uh, we're told in, or in uh, Matthew 25, at the final judgment, the sheep are separated from the goats. The goats are told, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So take it seriously. Back in Isaiah chapter 40, God can supply, we're told, he can supply strength because he never gets tired. With all that he does, God is never tired. God, it tells us there, is, uh, never sleeps. He never slumbers. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God was not weary or tired. And, and because, because of that, he can give us uh, strength. He can, he can supply us with all that we need. And if you're relying just on human strength and wisdom and knowledge, you're going to end up exhausting those resources. Because eventually humans, uh, human knowledge and human wisdom eventually uh, is not uh, able to keep up with things that go on with all the changes that come at us fast and furious. 
And the one who waits on the Lord, though, is going to be strong, is going to be immovable. And in Isaiah's time, the Lord was calling on the people of Judah just to trust him. Not only trust, but remember, if you trust God, you're going to obey him. You're going to do what God uh, has told us to do. God calls on us to do that today. God offers a deal to strengthen you. You get to trade weakness for strength if you just accept his deal. And then behind door number four, God wants to trade your right, uh, his righteousness for your rags. Here's the thing, Isaiah 64, verse 6, we are, but we are all like an unclean thing. The rags are, are an example of our, of our sin. They are an example of our unrighteousness in self-works. You know, we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is as a filthy rag. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, Isaiah says. You know, we, we like to think, you know, by human standards, probably me, everybody listening here is a good person. But look at it through God's standards. I had a friend in college who's, you know, hardly ever went to church, and one of her objections was, well, I don't like to go to church and just be told what a horrible person I am. And, and I had a, another place where I preached. I would get a, a phone call from this member uh, whenever the sermon stepped on her toes. I knew about it. How did I know it, you ask? Well, because I got a phone call. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, usually Monday or Tuesday. And she said, well, you know, people come to church to feel good. You know, and, and I think, yeah, I go to the doctor because I like to feel good, too. But, you know, sometimes that doctor's got news for me that I really don't want to hear. You know, when, when, when I had, a, had to do a biopsy and we were about 80% certain it was going to be cancer, I didn't want to hear that. So, yeah, I went home and I thought about it and I called the doctor and I said, hey, doc, I'll never come back to you because you made me feel bad. You told me I might have cancer. Do you think that's what I did? Obviously not. Okay, you think it, what do we need to do? What are our treatment options? What do we do? It turned out not, long story short, turned out not to be cancer. But when you get a diagnosis like that, you typically want to know what are the treatment options. You don't call the doctor and chew them out. Well, when the preacher says something that maybe steps on your toes in a sermon, maybe instead of calling them up and saying how bad it made you feel, maybe you need to stop and say, okay, the preacher said... He talked about gossip. You know what? Maybe I have been gossiping. Or the, 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 uh, the preacher might have, might have talked about uh, the need to tell uh, others about Jesus. He might have talked about honesty. He could have talked about any number of things. Okay, you know what? Maybe I do need to work on being more honest and truthful. Maybe I do need to uh, stop gossiping. Or maybe I need to start doing something. You see, that's what we should do is, is evaluate ourselves. We have an unworthiness because of our fallen state. We are as an unclean thing because of sin. Sin is very real. And we have an inability to be clean before God. A common metaphor in the Old Testament was for God to describe Israel turning, uh, turning from God to sin as an infidelity. Now, the book of Hosea is entirely based on Hosea's marriage to Gomer, who was a, a prostitute. But Hosea, like God, would love his wife, but inevitably his wife would commit adultery. There's a metaphor there in how God loves us, but we continually turn away from God. We continually turn to sin. And in any case, that alienation is never because God moved, it's because we have moved. And if, if we would stop and think about it, that if I feel like I'm far away from God, well, who was it that moved? 
Well, it was me. In Isaiah 64, we see sin is the culprit that is responsible for the alienation of affection from God. We are all infected with sin, Isaiah 64 uh, in verse 6 tells us. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind, Isaiah 64 in verse 6 tells us. So you've got a deal on the table to make you righteous and clean that will make you acceptable to God. You know, it's like if you if you have a... A, a crisp, uh, guys, you get a crisp white shirt to wear uh, to preaching Sunday or to wear to work. Or the ladies get a nice crisp white blouse. And it looks really nice. It's professional. What happens after you wear it a while and you've washed it several times and worn it? starts to get dull and dingy. It's not as sharp as it used to be. And when people find themselves close to God's righteousness, we can see then the dingy gray shades over uh, our own holiness. But we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, as part of this deal, Jesus has made righteousness available through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We cannot earn our way to heaven. That's really what he's talking about there. We, we, uh, salvation is a gift. We cannot earn it. Now, of course, this is a go-to passage for our friends, uh, in the denominational world who want to deny that baptism is essential for salvation. But he's not talking about that. That, that's not got anything to do with the context here. He is talking about people trying to earn their way. Hey, God, I did X, Y, and Z, so you owe me heaven. That's basically the attitude that Paul is addressing. Yes, I hope I've lived a good enough of a life so I can get into heaven. That's, that doesn't work. Jesus took our sins upon himself and died for those sins. And despite the fact Jesus was and is totally sinless. The Bible says he was holy, he was harmless, and because of the blood of Christ covering our sins, we have access to eternal life with him and God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's the deal God is offering you. He wants to trade his fellowship for your fears. He wants to trade his comfort for your confusion and your disappointments. Trade his strengths for your weaknesses. And then he wants to trade his righteousness for your rags. So will you accept the deal? It's on the table. No, there's no negotiation. This is a unilateral uh, offer. You either accept it or you reject it. You accept it by, uh, by obedient faith, being immersed to have your sins forgiven, and you come up out of the watery grave of baptism to walk a new life. And if, if, uh, if, you, if you want to know more, you know, contact Stevie or me or one of the hosts on the show, and, and let us help you be sure of your salvation. You can contact us through social media uh, or contact the Church of Christ in your area. We'll help you find a sound congregation if that's what you'd like to do. But make sure that your, that your salvation is, is sure. Make sure that, that you know that if Jesus were to come back right now and say, time's over, I'm taking my people home, make sure that you know you're ready to go. And if we can help you at all, let us know. So thank you for having me on the program again, Stevie. Thank you to the audience for listening. And that's my lesson for this evening. We will catch you in the next broadcast. 
And I hope everybody uh, has had a happy new year and has a great 2024. See you on the next broadcast. Thank you, Stevie. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a question from my social media platform on social media Facebook called Shout It Out. We want to post my co-host, Glenn McMillian. Glenn serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. And I told Glenn, well, I didn't tell Glenn, but Glenn is going to take his time as he answers this question. It's a very good question that we have from that platform. We also want to encourage our listeners to get involved in that uh, group on social media and get involved in those discussions. Now, here's the question that we have for Glenn, and this is the question. Did the sin that started with the first Adam end with the last Adam? What say you, Glenn, to this question? Did the sin that started with the first Adam end with the last Adam? This is a an excellent question. And we're going to consider it tonight here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. Um, I posted this question into the forum because I thought it would uh, spark a lot of conversation because I think this is a very important question uh, for us as Christians to be able to answer, to be able to give uh, proper understanding of the relationship between uh, the, the sin and the redemption of the resurrection and we need to be able to walk into a question like this which is a designed to be a trap question uh, being able to to handle it properly Um, so when I post these types of questions the first thing I always try to get people to do is to understand before you answer it before you try to attack it directly think about who would ask this question and why they would ask such a question. In this case, I got this question from a forum that is normally focused on uh, the topic of uh, full preterism, that is the the 80-70 doctrine, the the idea that Jesus came back in 80-70 and all of the things that we read about in the Bible have already come to pass and there is no more prophecy or revelation to be filled, fulfilled in the future. Uh, and that in and of itself causes a lot of problems, and we've discussed that before uh, on this show. Um, but this particular question comes from a an extension of that. The corollary of that is that what is called Israel only. Therefore, if, if everything wrapped up in AD 70, that means that everything in scripture was originally for the Israelites. It was only designed for them. And there is nothing in scripture that is for us or was for us. Um, And that, of course, is (laughs) very problematic. Uh, and, And we will get into more about how they came to come to this decision and the, and the problems of that uh, way of thinking for um, Christians or, or people who nominally would call themselves Christians. Um, so they are saying that if, if sin was associated with Israel and there is no more Israel, what does that mean for us? 
And if that was the the only place that this came up, I probably wouldn't deal with it because Israel only is such a small segment that it's not that significant and you probably won't run into it. So it wouldn't be worth spending a lot of time dealing with it. But this is a, not just a question that could come from that circle, but it's a question that could come from other types of uh Christian thought as well, because there are other ways that we can uh, think about the, the the topic of sin and, and the other ways that sin is defined, and therefore uh, this type of question becomes relevant in a lot of other situations, and that's why when you start to think through who could possibly ask this question, you get a wide variety of of people who could be asking this question. And depending on who you're talking to, you might need to address it in different ways. So let's start there then. So it talks about, uh, the, the question starts with the sin of the first Adam. And this is a an obvious reference to Romans chapter 5. So if you want to open your Bible and turn there, uh, we'll be starting at verse 12. Um, but we're not going to go there right away. So let's let's first talk about sin? What is the definition of sin? And this is important to to answering the question because everything revolves around it. If you don't have a proper understanding of what sin is, then you don't have a proper understanding of what the sacrifice of Jesus did, what the defeating of sin actually means in this context. So, Again, if we start with where this question came from, the the Israel-only people believe that sin is defined as a violation of the law of Moses. If you are under the law of Moses and you commit an act that is against the law of Moses, then you have committed a sin. If you are not under the law of Moses and you do anything that's not covered by the law of Moses, then that's not sin. And since... Jesus took away the law at the cross, there is nothing that can be qualified as sin anymore. Therefore, there is no such thing as sin anymore. And so if you have that concept of sin, you can kind of see where they're going to go with the rest of this question. Uh, and, we'll, and we will get there shortly. Um, but there are other ways to define sin. The other way that sin is commonly defined, and, and probably in our uh, context, at least in America, the most common way that sin is defined uh, is that sin is a condition that you are are born with. It is it is it is a spiritual separation of God that it ha- that happened uh, because of the the trespass of Adam. Therefore, you were born into a situation where you were not connected with God at all. You were born in sin. And therefore, that relationship has to be restored. Um, but it can't be restored on your part. There's nothing you can do in order to do to restore that relationship. God has to extend himself to you in order to restore that relationship. So sin in that sense is uh, something that we've all inherited that that 
travels through uh, the lineage of man. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And that, that's the whole redemption story from their point of view, um, is that you were in sin, God extended himself and allowed certain people to be brought back into relationship through the death of Christ. Now, how big that, that number of people is, is going to vary from one person to another. And, and the, you know, again, we're going to get into it here in Romans chapter five, how they, they justify that. Um, <clears throat> because if sin is limited in that way, or, or at least the opportunity to be saved from sin is limited in that way, um, what does that mean for everybody else? Uh, and we, we've definitely dealt with that, with those implications before on this show. And we'll get into it shortly. And then the third way, and what I would say, and, and what we would say, the proper way of understanding sin is, is that sin is the violation of the will of God. God has a will and a standard, but... He doesn't impose his will upon us. He he tells us what the standard is, and he lets us decide whether or not we are going to follow it. And if we follow God's standard, then that is us living in righteousness. If we decide to do something that is contrary to God's standard, then that is sin. And so in this scenario, sin is not uh, something that can be eradicated because God would have to eradicate our free will in order to eradicate sin by that definition. Sin is the the standard is always already set. The standard remains set. What the sacrifice of Christ allows is for a redemption for those that have violated that standard and, and have broken that connection with God. Is there a way back for them? And how to, and who is that way back available to? So all of those, those are the three kind of conceptions of sin that we need to kind of deal with as we go into this topic of, of if the sin of, of Adam has ended or, or was dealt with on the cross, then what does that mean for, for us going forward? And obviously, if you answer that question with a different concept of sin in mind, you're going to have a completely different answer <laughs> to that question coming out of uh, of these passages of Scripture. So we have to take a look at Romans chapter 5 again uh, and, and see what it's actually saying in order to properly answer this question. Because... This this passage is very controversial in that a lot of people get a lot of different things out of this passage because of how they conceptualize sin and then how they bring that concept of sin to what this passage says. And then they kind of read into it what they are, you know, what they have in their mind about sin and they don't actually read what this passage is saying in the context that it is said in to kind of understand uh, what the point that Paul was trying to make here. So let, let's start at verse 12 and, and just read uh, this passage, and then we'll, we'll come back and, and explore it in terms of what this means for us. 
So Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like the offense, for if by the offense of the one many died, much more did the grace of God by the gift, and the gift by the grace of, of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came to the one who sinned, for on one hand the judgment came, arose from the offense, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, gracious gift arose from many offenses, resulting in justification. For by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through the one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, and so although one act of righteousness, the result of, was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through all through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, there's a lot there. There's a lot of uh, that is packed in there. And again, your understanding of the, the definition of the word sin will completely color how you understand this verse. If you, if you understand sin <laughs> as just the violation of the law of Moses, then what it sounds like Paul is saying here is because one man entered, sin entered the world, that one man violated the law, and by violating that law, introduce sin to the world. But, again, we have a problem because the law of Moses wasn't in effect when Adam sinned. And Paul addresses that here. So, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not counted against anyone when there is no law. So what they would say is that, yes, Adam, Adam sinned, but he didn't know what sin was, and it wasn't really count, counted as sin as such uh, until the law of Moses. But we see that there are there is already consequences for this violation way before the law of Moses. Adam himself was kicked out of the garden. He suffered physical death as a result of uh, losing his relationship with God and losing access to the tree of life. Everyone after him again with without access to the tree of life lived and died a physical death because they had no ability to live forever uh, with, the, with, with the access of the tree of life. Um, and, you know, we see that the earth became more corrupt and then there was the flood where God dealt with all the evil people. 
we, we see that there is sin and there are, are there is violations of uh, of what God would have people to do and, and there are consequences for those violations. So it is not like there is what he's saying here is that because the law had not gone into effect, no one was guilty of sin and and therefore people were allowed to do whatever they want without consequence. Uh, there were definitely there definitely was a standard. The standard was known. The standard was expected to be followed, and there were consequences uh, for not following. The consequences that included <laughs> a flood that wiped out the entire uh, population of the earth. So, are nearly entirely the entire population of the earth. So, this concept of sin is just the violation of the law, and and if there is no law. There is no violation, so people who are not under the law are not guilty of any type of sin and are therefore basically free to do whatever they want. It's just not upheld by uh, what we see in Scripture and, and what is being mentioned here. It doesn't fit in this context. And so when they're trying to use these verses to, to make that case, uh, obviously this is not what Paul is trying to say. <laughs> because the the what he's trying to get across here um, when he says that sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law, obviously there was still some accountability for sin even without the law of Moses. It just was... There, there never was a time where, where sin was able to be done and there was no accountability for it. There was no consequence for it. That was not the way that that it worked in, in the Old Testament before the Law of Moses and that is not the way that it works now after uh, the cross even though we are no longer under the Law of Moses. So that kind of deals with uh, the first type of sin. That, so even if sin of that type, the violation of the law of Moses has ended, that doesn't clear us of responsibility. That doesn't make sure that we don't have uh, any consequences for the things that we do now. In fact, you know, we go to uh, chapter 7 of this same book. Paul will talk about how even though the law has been taken away, it was taken away so that we could be bound to another. See, he makes an analogy on, about marriage. Marriage is ended at the death of one of the partners. But that doesn't mean that we were left alone, that we were left without uh, any type of accountability. We were, that, that relationship ended so that we could be bound to another. We could be brought under a new law with new... Uh, covenants with new promises uh, and new responsibilities, and therefore, and that and that law is the law of Christ. So therefore, we are not left without law. It's just a different law, and we are still bound uh, by the standards of God. It's just that the standards of God for us are not the same standards of God that were for the Israelites. So, in multiple ways, we can see that this concept of even if you're wanting to call sin 
just the violation of the law. And that that type of sin <laughs> uh, can no longer happen because the law is no, no longer in place. There's still another law, and there's still responsibilities that we have to that new law. And therefore, there is still sin of that type, and we will get back to that in a second. Um, so if you don't think of sin as a violation of law, if you think of sin as a condition that we are, are born with, then the way that you interpret this verse in this passage becomes a little bit different. And we've discussed this when we talked about Calvinism and original sin, and, but you know it's not just Calvin; it's also the Catholics also teach original sin, and then you know it is it is a very common uh, doctrine among Christian denominations that we are we were all born in sin, and so therefore, if you read it that way, just as through one man sin enters the world, so Adam, who as, you know. Presumably was not born sinful because he was created by God, but he committed an act of sin. Therefore, we are all born sinful because of that sin. And death spread to all mankind because all sin. So they they view that as being uh I forget what the term for it is, but it, it it's basically a term that means that he, he sinned physically, and that and the consequences of that of that sin spiritually were transferred to all of us because we all sinned spiritually because of his sin physically, um, and and there are applications of that concept. Uh, in scripture that may or may not be valid, but I don't think that's what is is happening here, and it, and it would go against uh, the other things that that Paul says earlier in the text that people are going to be uh, judged according to their own deeds, uh, whether good good or evil, and you know, so if if what they're saying about sin is true then no one is really judged according to their own deeds. Your own deeds are irrelevant because you are either in sin because you were born in sin and you never dealt with it, or you're not in sin because you were born in sin and it was dealt with. Your your own individual actions uh, become irrelevant <laughs> to the concept of sin uh, when you view it as such, which, again, is, a vile, is in contrast with things that are said elsewhere in the book of Romans and throughout scripture. Um, so, so what is really being said here then? If, if, if the problem is that he, they're viewing this, this passage here where it says, uh, by one, uh, or sorry, no, um, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because of sin. They're reading this as because Adam sinned, then this was transferred to everyone else. Everyone sinned in the same way because it was transferred through this act of sin that Adam created. 
the problem comes later in this text because it says that the the gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense one, by the offense of the one many died, much more than by the grace of God and the gift of grace of one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many. Right. For by the offense death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So, so Paul is saying there, there something happened with Adam, and the way that that thing happened with Adam is mirrored in what happened with Christ. So, if because Adam sinned, everyone regardless of their own actions, regardless of their own condition, their own uh, individual uh, relationship with God, everyone is guilty of sin based on what Adam did. Just as that first Adam is what Paul says, then the second Adam, just just as Adam brought sin, Jesus brings life. So, the obvious conclusion would be if if Adam's sin brought life to, brought death to everyone unconditionally, then Christ's sacrifice should bring life to everyone unconditionally. If we're going to force this context to mean that for Adam, then why doesn't it mean the same thing for Christ? If by the, the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So, why is Adam's all greater than Jesus' all? If Paul is saying that much more is associated with what Christ has done. Again, verse 18, so through the one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind. So through the act of one, through one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. If death comes to all mankind, because of Adam's act. And why does Jesus' act of righteousness, his death on the cross, not bring life to all mankind in the same way? See, you're either a universalist, you believe that, yes, there was original sin, but now because of Christ, everyone is saved. Because that would be consistent with a reading of verse 18 here. But very few uh, of the people who believe in original sin uh, teach that. Original sin, the sin is is unconditional. The death that comes through the sin is unconditional. But the justification has conditions. And one of those conditions is you've got to be chosen uh, beforehand. If you, and and this is only effective to the subset of people who were ch- chosen beforehand. But again, that still makes Adam's all greater than Jesus's all. Why was Adam's 
sin greater than Jesus' power to redeem people from sin. They're going to say it's not, but numerically speaking, it is. Many more people, they believe, are going to be lost, are going to be uh, subject to judgment, uh, than are going to be redeemed uh, by the death of Christ. Unless, again, of course, you you go universalist and, be, and believe that those two alls are equal. So, again, we see that the, that is not a feasible argument uh, because, again, no one, or, or at least not no one, but, but very few people are going to uh, make a universalist case uh, here, and, and it doesn't hold up through the rest of Scripture because there are are many, many more uh, Scriptures, especially, again, even if we stay in the book of Romans, with the next chapter, in chapter 6 of Romans, uh, so what shall we say then? Shall we remain in sin that, that grace may abound? Certainly not. So the, the next thing that Paul says right after he finishes saying this is that we don't just have license to sin just because of what happened in verse, in chapter 5. So chapter 5 does not give us uh, carte blanche to sin because there is no law, as the uh, Israel-only people would say, and it doesn't give us free, freedom from sin in that we, and, and judgment in the sense that everyone is now saved. Uh, and there's no and there's no conditions on that, as the uh, universalist Calvinist person would say uh, from here. Neither one of those uh, positions is true. <laughs> Therefore, we we still have to uh, make it our 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 goal to eliminate sin from our lives as much as possible, because the definition of sin isn't. A just a violation of the the old law, and it isn't a condition, a, a spiritual condition that was, uh, you know, that no longer has any effect on us because of of what Jesus did. I, it is, but it isn't. So, the proper understanding of sin and the proper understanding of this this passage is again, sin is a violation of the will of God. So Adam knew what God's standard was, but he was tempted based on his own desires to violate that standard, and thus he violated the standard, and then and thus he was subject to death, both spiritual death in terms of the relationship between him and God being broken, and then physical death as a result of being put out of the garden and losing access to uh, the tree of tree of life. So, because the way that Adam sinned, not not his sin and the consequences of his sin spilling spilling over to us, but the process by which Adam sinned is a common process for all of us. We all have desires. Our desires come into conflict with what God desires for us. We make the choice to allow those desires to our, our desires to to be uh, 
paramount over God's desires, then we commit an act that God would not have us to do, and we have violated the law of God. And we, because we all do this, we all sin, and we all are are uh, subject to the penalties of being in sin. And again, I'm not just making this up. This is James uh, chapter one. If you would like to go deal, deal with that, um, in fact, let's let's read that real quick, uh, so that we have a understanding of this concept, and we can understand the process by which uh, sin happens, and therefore we can <laughs> see how this this uh, concept is uh, is common to all men. So if we we start at verse thirteen of James chapter one, it says, "No, let, no one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted for God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, and He does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away by his own lusts, and when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run run its course, brings forth yet brings forth death. So Again, we are tempted by our, our, our own lust. Is, is, did that happen to Adam? Well, yes. You know, he are. You know, more specifically, we see this with Eve that that the snake shows Eve the fruit. She says that she, it is it is good for food. It is and it has the power to make one wise. So her lust caused her to be tempted. And she was carried away by that that lust, and therefore she ate of the fruit, and then she was subject to the consequences of violating God's will. And then Adam, in the same way, he was either trying to gain the same advantages that that Eve was trying to gain, or he was trying to please his wife, depending on which way you want to go with that, it doesn't matter he was still drawn away by his own desire. His de- his desire came into conflict with the, the with God's desire for him, which was to not eat of the, the fruit. And he allowed his desire to win, and therefore he was became subject to the consequences of sin. So that same process, that 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 same. Uh, way of getting into uh, the sinful state is common to to all of us. We we all eventually have something that we want more <laughs> at the time than to please God. And we are we are human, we are we are subject to the same frailties that Adam was subject. So because he was he violated the law of God. He violated God's standard for him. You know he didn't violate the law of Moses because the law of Moses wasn't wasn't in effect. But he did violate the standard that God had set for him, and therefore he was subject to the penalties of that violation. And that spread to all mankind because all of us are the same way. We we have the death the penalty spread to all mankind. Because we all have sinned, we have all violated the law, not the same law that Adam sinned, that, that Adam violated, not the law of Moses, because we're not under it, but we violated the will of God in some way, 
at some point <laughs> because we've all done something uh, that was not what God would have us to do, and therefore we are all subject to the penalties of that violation. So death reigns from Adam to Moses because even all of those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, those, those who had not sinned in the same way, they didn't do the same thing that Adam did. They didn't eat eat a fruit that God didn't that told them not to eat, but they violated the law in some other way. There there are multiple ways uh, to violate God's standards, and because we all do have done something, uh, that is how we are all subject to the penalties of sin. So when they're saying when going back to the question did the sin that that the first Adam committed they're they're talking about this this process here did, did that sin end at the cross did, when did Jesus put a, a a an end to the concept of sin and again we can say quite confidently sin did not end at the cross, because sin is just a violation of the will of God. The will of God can still be violated because he has not obliterated free will. What he did was he took away the penalty for sin, or at least he made a way for us to be redeemed from the penalties of sin. So if we go down to... Uh, So as then through the offense of one, the result was condemnation to all mankind. Also through the act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that offense will increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. As sin reigned in death, so... Also, grace would reign through righteousness to the eternal life of, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the idea here of righteousness and justification is, is again, you have to read more into <laughs> more into the the, uh, the text. If we go into chapter six, how do we obtain this justification? How do we get into uh, this death of Christ? We have to be baptized into his death. We have to maintain righteousness. We have to leave the bondage of sin uh, in order to be bound to Christ. All of these things require us to make a decision. So just as Christ, again, the, we're talking about the process by which Adam came into sin is the same process by which we come into sin the process by which Christ came into justification or our made justification process possible had to do with being obedient to the point of death and making the ultimate sacrifice, his life, and then resurrection into a new life. Which again, if we go into Romans chapter 6, is exactly how we obtain justification for we have to die 
actually, let's let's go into chapter six and actually read this, so that we can have a, an understanding. So six, verse one, and and through seven. So what shall we say then? Shall we are we to continue to sin that grace may increase? Far from it. How can we who died to sin? How can we, we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So the process <laughs> that Adam took in order to get into sin, this temptation which leads to, uh, the, sorry, the desire which leads to the temptation which leads to the violation which leads to death or the penalty of sin. The same process that Adam used to get into sin is the same process that we use or that, that we are subject to when we fall into sin. But we also have access to the same process that Christ had to bring justification, this obedience to the point of death on the cross, to a resurrection into a new life. That's the same process that we we have available to us in order to be free from uh, the power of sin. Says that we are buried with Him through baptism, just so that just as Christ was raised from the dead in the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. So there are there are parallels here. There are <laughs> Paul knows what he's doing in constructing this uh, this dialogue and making the parallels between Adam and Jesus. It is just not the way that most people read this this passage. It is not a direct Adam brought sin, Jesus brings life, and those two things are are connected. So therefore, you know, sin is no longer an issue. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Adam showed us the process to sin. Jesus showed us the process to life, and if we understand how Adam was an example to show us how sin works and how we are all under that process of sin. Jesus shows us how we are able to be free from sin. He's given us an example in order to so we can see the process of justification. And then he elaborates on that in chapter 6 to show us how we can obey this gospel of Christ through death, burial, and resurrection and be bonded with him and freed from the consequences of sin. But sin is still an issue. I mean, even after this, he goes, therefore sin is not is not to reign in your mortal body Verse in verse 12, 6, verse 12. So he's still telling us sin is something that we need to avoid. Sin is still something that we need to uh, to struggle with and to deal with because sin, the ability to violate God's law, has not gone away. We have been given the opportunity to be justified. We have been given the opportunity to uh, be free from the consequences of sin. 
But sin is still around. Sin is always going to be around because we still have uh, free will. So we still have the ability to violate the law of God. It's just not something that we should be subject to uh, because we have come into a new relationship and God has given us the tools to be able to avoid sin if we so choose. And we and he has given us the justification from the consequences of sin mm-hmm. if we stay faithful to him. So I hope that answers the question. I hope that gives you the tools to be able to uh, deal with this question in a, in a better way and allows you to, to help someone who is dealing with these wrong causes of sin and, and the um, the harmful implications that these wrong consequences, uh, these wrong concepts of sin, uh, will lead someone into. So the lesson is yours. Thank you for uh, your attention. Keep listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out! Question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I don't know why my storm seems so tough at times And I don't even know why I feel I'm losing my mind And yet I know he's always there for me And still I know he'll always care For me and more I know
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I host the live show. For the Work of the Lord radio show, this show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month, the show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we'll have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ. We'll be making a proclamation of the Gospel of Christ on that show. And also on that broadcast, we have the Community Corner segment. That segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs. We have products and services for our communities. We also have two co-hosts on that show, Luke Gilbert. He's the evangelist for the Oakwood Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves with Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. And the third Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Dr. Antherica Lane. She's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She serves the Great Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Kelly Fletcher. She serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, I'll be hosting a live show, The Gospel Light Radio Show. That show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And there are eight co-hosts on this show, Clay Phillips, Susan Ford, Dr. Frank Washington, Steve Cotos, Stanley Hubbard, uh, Johnny Morris, and Glenn McMillian, and Brian Christian Coleman. And these brothers will be making a proclamation of the gospel of Christ each week on that broadcast. Also, we have two of my co-hosts to be on the air with me, and I'll be taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. That'll be posted to one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. Then on Friday night, I'm hosting a live show, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And this radio show is the 2022 recipient for the Nakama National Academy of Christian Appellate Music Artists Award. Outstanding achievement in record or radio. On this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest fellow gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. And we're also interviewing artists, producers, writers. And we're debuting new music to feature an old music on this broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, we're doing my Top 20 Countdown show. And we also have on-demand episodes where you're getting your favorite podcasts from. Just go to the various musical platforms. 
Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple, iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. And we also have recorded version shows. These shows will album debuts mostly and the same playlist that was used on the live show on Blog Talk Radio. That same playlist is being played on these recorded version shows. But these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio on DSERF and also on Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B's recorded version shows. We also want to thank all of our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Markham, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Productions, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Live Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm not ashamed to live for Jesus. It's the best life, that's for sure. I'm not ashamed to defend his name, because he died for mine and yours. Thank you. 
closer he gets to you, the more he'll make you see. When you give him what you got, you can gain a victory. So money and clothes, now I really don't care. You can go on with the things that I'm trying to get up there where I can walk down them streets to go. Put my sword in the sand and let go of the heavy load, yeah. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word, this first show for the year 2024. We're just so excited that we're still here and able to do this work on a weekly basis. Isn't God good? Oh, yes, he is. I want to thank both of my co-hosts on the show this evening for doing a great job in their presentations of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Steve Cordell and also my co-host, Glenn Maybe he answered our shout-out question on the broadcast and also we just appreciate everybody who's been involved in putting these shows together on a weekly basis it is my prayer ladies and gentlemen that these lessons this evening have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in to this radio broadcast but you've given yourself over to a study of god's word that's important so until we meet again may god continue to bless your lives and may he bless you real real good you've been listening to us the Gospel Light radio show. On behalf of my co-host, we really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to The Gospel Light radio show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.